remedies for squeaky shoes. Yeah. It's such a thing. Yeah. The fact that this exists (laughs) surprises me. What is that? Kira, and welcome to the episode 9 of 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. This episode has been a long time in the making and editing, so to our loyal listeners, thank you for your patience, and we hope you enjoy it. Most of us can remember, or might be experiencing right now, what it feels like to consider a future study or career path. Similarly, once you've committed to that course of study, how do you know what working in that field will actually be like? In this episode, we feature two interviews discussing these questions from different angles, looking at how to reach a decision and the quality of information available to inform it. In the first half of the episode, we talk to Sophie Hamer, an Auckland-based architectural graduate whose website Portico is a resource for anyone considering entering the profession or its training. Then in our second interview, Jeremy, Matt and Arch talk to Rachel King and Anika Andresen, fourth-year students studying architecture at Auckland University. We kind of put these two interviews together because we naturally found some common themes, including unsurprising misconceptions about what you should be studying in order to train as an architect, the role that early influences can play in informing your view of what architecture is, and why just before lunch is the worst time to present your work. First up, we spoke with Sophie Hamer of Portico. So Sophie, what is Portico and why did you make it? Um, What is Portico? Portico is a website and online support system for aspiring architects, um, which really guides them through the process from thinking about studying architecture through studying architecture and envisaging what their contribution to the profession might be in the future. It almost came out of nothing. I guess I'd kind of always been um, spent a lot of my degree searching on the internet to try and find quicker ways to find out information about what I should be doing at certain stages or what my options were in terms of, I don't know, travelling overseas or what it would mean if I took XYZ paper, what that would mean for my future career. And it was always either really difficult to find information or you could find information but it was largely based in the US and really, really ugly. Mm. Um, and I took exception to that. Um, yeah, you have because your website is beautiful. It's as an architecture great. student, I think it's really important that the information is also visually yeah. accessible. Um, and then one weekend I was just sitting on the beach and had been thinking about it a little bit more, how this kind of thing didn't exist, and then thought, well, you know, why can't I do it? Mm. And on the Tuesday I made a website, and on the Wednesday I said on my Instagram that I was going to go live with it <laughs> and then my boyfriend came up to me and said what are you doing <laughs> and I said oh yeah this thing I've been thinking about for ages didn't you know right. but I guess the aim really is to um, package up all of my own experience both as a student and as a tutor and teacher because I spent about a year after uni teaching full time and really really enjoyed that and basically package that so that people can access it as almost like an additional tutor in addition to their school teachers, career advisors or tutors at university. The existence of your site Portico seems to imply, because it's a toolkit for young architects or prospective architects, it seems to imply there's a real gap between the profession um, and the world of prospective architects and I wondered why you thought that gap existed and needed bridging. This or do you think because, there's a gap? Yeah, I'm actually yeah. on the other side of the fence. There's a lot of documentation about, or you know, people writing articles about how university doesn't prepare students adequately mm. for the profession. Mm. 
I actually felt going into the profession that I was very well prepared to learn more stuff in the profession, right. which I think is exactly what the university should do. I guess what I'm interested in in terms of there being gaps or interfaces is almost kind of an intergenerational thing that happens where as a graduate I don't have that much connection to people who are students who are now only you know four Mm. years Mm. younger Mm -hmm. than me and as a university student I didn't have that much connection to people who I had had relationships with at school and it's kind of those intergenerational gaps that I'm more interested in than the interface of university with because I see that you've reached out to high school students as well, um, which is fantastic. I know when I was at high school, there was a real paucity of information mm. about, you know, what architecture school was, what you know subjects you should take. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually only decided that I was going to study architecture about three weeks before um, the deadline. Previously, I was going to go down to Otago and do law and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was told at high school that I should drop the arts, drop painting, hmm. give that up because I was good at the sciences. Um, so I basically had no advice at school that this would be something that would be a viable option for someone who was interested in a breadth of subjects and really wish that I have mm-hmm. had that, I guess. I, I actually specifically said that I wanted to do architecture and was told or steered towards physics and sciences and and sort of uh, disincentivized to continue with my art which I you know looking back is just dumb <laughs> you know the best thing you can do is keep mm. it really broad yeah. Mm. yeah exactly so what was it Sophie that pulled you towards architecture if it was being actively discouraged in a sense um my mother was an interior de- is an interior designer and did drafting at school she worked at Craig Craig Muller when she was younger um, and worked overseas in London so I guess I kind of always grew up around it and it's only in the past few years that I realised that things like loving going to open homes as a three year old (laughs) um, (laughs) and really enjoying reading all my mum's architecture magazines on the weekend as a ten year old were actually things that said this is probably something you're interested in doing. It's strange when it's like so you know you're absorbed in it as a child you just think it's the way the world is and you don't actually you know, turn that over and say, well, this is actually something I should be doing with my life. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I find really find interesting was well, do- I think it's really well done on the website is that distinction between are you a high school student or are you a, you know, university student. There's this thing that through high school there's an enormous amount of pressure for certainty and to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And if you don't choose the right subjects, you'll somehow prevent the outcome you want. And that's a very constrictive sort of pressure. And that's dealt with, I think, really nicely in the, in the sections on the website that talk about that, especially like, you know, is maths important? But then when you get to university and then you start studying, it's all about the unlearning and the broadening and the opening and expansion of things, yeah. which reflects the ultimate massive breadth in, in the, the breadth of the profession, something that Tony Van Raat always talked about, the broadness of the profession mm. to accommodate all of this range of skills from the very analytical mathematical empirical architect to the very strategic interpersonal communicator architect and everything in between Mm. which is the complete contrast from the common set of kind of conversations you often have in high school which is about drop the art do the physics bone up on the maths Mm. do your hard line drawing and you'll be away Mm. which is a suffocating set of constraints for a profession that's actually about like the the exact opposite of that Mm. 
I wondered about, we were, I asked you about a gap before, but there's a different sort of gap I'd like to ask you about. There's a friend of mine graduated from architecture school and a couple of years later found herself kind of, you know, doing corner details for enormous warehouses in Penrose and was kind of devastated by it because she didn't think that that was what the profession promised her and she left the profession. And I wondered if that was kind of a universal experience for architects that you have to go through a few years of um, dispiriting work before you get to the interesting stuff or is there a risk of being stuck in dispiriting work forever? How do you talk prospective students through those possibilities? Man, that's a tricky one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think really when students coming into architecture the majority of them in New Zealand want to design houses that's what they've kind of grown up knowing as architecture and that's what they're interested in and architecture school kind of um, opens that out so that by the end of architecture school you get about 60% of those students actually wanting to design arts centres and huge buildings that we don't have a lot of scope for in New Zealand. So there's always a difficulty there. So it's about, I guess it's almost the role of the university to have some courses that somehow moderate those expectations, or it's not so much about moderating the expectations, but almost amping up some of the other qualities of architecture, such as the humanitarian side, the um, like ongoing relationship of the city to you know the way policy is run or the economic systems and making there be other things that would keep you in architecture other than just the prettiness yeah that mm. makes sense yep because and I'm not sure that Portico does a great job of that at the moment um despite downplaying drawing a wee bit even though I love drawing um but that's probably something that I need to look at more in the future. I guess one aspect of Portico that feeds into that is a whole series of posts about, you know, what does an architect look like? What are the different types of architects? So it's really um, expanding that mm. in the public sphere mm. early on. Yes, because I think particularly in commercial practice, um, actually there are quite different roles that you can have as an architect from somebody who's perhaps, you know, more looking at the practice management side of things or project management mm. Um, mm. Um, of things. Mm -hmm. You know, we need a, a number of different players with different skills and it's quite rare to find somebody with all of them packaged up together. Yeah, but also sometimes not that useful to have everyone thinking they've got every no. skill. No, no. Mm. I think you, as you grow as an architect, you find your avenue in the things that interest you and you, you know, take, can take a long time to get there. Come back to your Jeremy, some of the some of that stuff that you do as a graduate is not necessarily the stuff that you're going to be interested in ultimately, but it's the um, sort of things you need to know about before you can. You know, talk about practice management. There's no point in being a great practice manager if you don't know how to detail a building, yeah, because you can't manage a bunch of people who are detailing a building. So, yeah, you do. You your your education as an architect doesn't stop at the end of architecture school continues and it's still equally as broad for a long time hopefully as a graduate mm -hmm. in, a, in an office um, and yeah you might get stuck doing corner details for a while um, until you throw your toys and something gives you, you know, some rich details to do I know. <laughs> um, but yeah it is it is hard because you come out of architecture school having spent half a decade getting there um, and you kind of go oh I haven't designed anything for ages you know, it's quite a different shift 
Don't you think also it's about how challenged you are in that work? Because mm. there are corner details and then there are corner <laughs> details, you know. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you're working on something that uh, that's part of a project that's really exciting and you're engaged in it, mm. then probably your interest level for that mundane stuff is, is going to be higher mm. because you're you're interested in it. You want to make the project great. Mm. Yeah. What do you like about being an architect, Sophie? I like that I get to do lots of everything. I think that's what carried through from my schooling. At school I took every subject and did every after school activity and I just like the breadth and being able to jump from one thing to the next. So that you stress generalism in, in the website about the mm. diversity of skills, you obviously think it's a very important part to be a well-rounded architect. I think that's probably what I value most about the profession. I know that if I'd gone into some of the other professions that I was thinking about, I'd be much more, I'm going to use the word directed, that makes it sound like I'm undirected as an architect, um, but more um, channeled in my day-to-day mm -hmm. work, mm. whereas as an architect I am able to spend you know, time drawing every day, time writing, time researching, doing calculations, I get to do everything and I really like that. Mm -hmm. Does the need from which Portico came do you think it reflects like a general misunderstanding about what architects do by the general public? Yes and no. I'm not convinced about the word misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we're necessarily misrepresented in the public. I just think there's not enough information out there. It's about the volume ever. rather than... Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. It's a topic we're often interested in. Mm. And one of the motivators for having the podcast is the idea of the perception of architects outside our own sphere. And architecture. And architecture, yeah. And since you launched in December, um, what sort of feedback have you had? Um, I've had really good feedback. It's been trickling off a little bit recently since I've been posting less, but um, immediately I was getting about an email a day from someone saying, mm -hmm. I'm interested in architecture, I am putting my portfolio together, my daughter might be interested in architecture. Yep. Mm. Um, so that was really great and also really really great support from kind of the wider architectural community oh yeah um, in particular groups like the NZIA and um, architecture women who also kind of field a lot of queries from the public about architecture in schools um, what architecture could mean to their son daughter yep. student I was going to ask you about you mentioned architecture plus women in New Zealand and I wondered if this was something you were planning to address on Portico, is that there's, you know, roughly 50% of architectural graduates are women, but they're sorely represented, underrepresented in the upper echelons of the profession and senior roles. Why do you think that is? I know the reason's complex, and I don't expect you to kind of <laughs> capture that in a really succinct way. And is that something you plan to address with your site? At this stage, I'm not sure if I'm going to address it directly or whether it's already kind of addressed by the approach that the site is taking things like the colour scheme and the kind of empathetic female voice behind it um, a lot of the other websites that you can find as an architecture student are very black and white and very um, strong male voice sounding so I think that's kind of an undercover way of addressing it I think you're right the reasons for that are really really complex um, in my view there's a flow through effect that hasn't started happening yet from the student numbers, the female student numbers increasing, it's going to take you know, 30 years for people of my year level where there were 50-50 to get into those 
well maybe not 30 years but you yeah. know into those top roles so I think that's one aspect of it I also feel like as someone who's kind of approaching registration the registration and pro- process in New Zealand can sometimes be a bit detrimental for women because the schooling process is so long then you come out then you have to work for so long then you have to think about getting registered and it kind of slots in at the same time as you're thinking about having children Um, and I think that can actually be really detrimental for women who you know come away from having a few years off with kids and then they're not registered and they can't get back into a practice Mm -hmm. as a grad when they're mid-30s and haven't been working for four years. Do it early. As soon as you can, (laughs) (laughs) from experience. But then you need to have the the, um, practices really on board to support that. Yeah, Yeah, you do. And to see that as something that should be happening. Absolutely. In the past five years, women have helped in the past five years, been hard to get jobs. Yeah, absolutely. That experience Mm. and all of those things. So, yeah, more um, There's going to be another gap in the graph Mm. for the recession. One thing that mystified me when I first went to architecture school and something we we, we still aspire to feature on the podcast one way or another is the crit Mm. as a process that really like really floored me when I was actually asked to give my first crit I was frozen at the idea of what do you mean you stand up and you have to explain this in front of all of my classmates. Yeah. Is that something, uh, do, do you agree with that, that it's sort of under, under-explained perhaps? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've got a series in the making on that as well. Um, I remember my first crit was, I think I might have even cried. And, you know, I'd done debating to a very yeah. high level at school and thought I was, you know, very good at speaking and presenting my work and it just got crushed and I was absolutely crushed as well. Yeah. So for our non-architect listeners, a crit is when you stand up in front of your classmates and present a project that you've designed. And it's the primary method of assessment for the design work stream, which mm. is the dominant work stream of your whole degree. And they then tear it apart. Ah, you, you get a variety of reactions, <laughs> one of which is tearing it apart. Yeah. It Sometimes it depends when you are in the day, so if you're before lunch or after lunch. Yeah. Usually the crit... <laughs> just before lunch is the worst one because they're just so hungry and they just <laughs> crush you and then go and eat their sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> and you never get... The thing that strikes me about the crit and the fact that so many people struggle with it, no one actually teaches you how to do it. It's not... It's so critical to what you do, but you you learn about how to do it over five years of doing it. And it's... Yeah, no one... Yeah, very little kind of sit-down tutorial, this is what a crit is and how you might do it, is something you learn by accident really. How would you teach it? We used to video people, so when yeah. we used to do the, when I used to teach, you'd video um, it's, it's good for any public speaking, yeah. you video a person, you play it back and they go, oh, I didn't realise I was going like that with my hand and I always do this and you know, you just, it gives, gives a presence and an awareness to the person presenting in the first instance and I don't know, like don't start with, here's the door, this is where you come in this is my building you know know, like it's a performance you need to enthrall you need to like grab people's attention and hold it for just four or five minutes in a really compelling way and I think that's something can be taught and what are some of the things that we should look out for on um, upcoming upcoming posts on Portico well I've just started a series about key architectural concepts so the first one in that is circulation, but there's others coming, things like program, typology, atmosphere, which are key words that as architects we throw around every day but have little to no meaning in public. Access. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, space. Just generally space. Threshold. <laughs> threshold, yeah. Then there's another series which was going to be up at the start of this year, but will be either mid this year or beginning of next year about first week at architecture, things you need to know, where to find things, what to find out, how to set yourself up, which is quite exciting. So the website is just portico.space and my email is sophie at portico.space if you've got any questions or ideas. Always looking for new ideas. Thanks Sophie. Cool. Great. Thanks Sophie. Now, we'd really encourage you to check out Portico, and since we recorded our interview with Sophie, she's added more content to the site, and it's now an even better resource than before. Next up, we discuss today's topic from the point of view of two people right in the midst of their studies. We caught up with them recently on a very rainy autumn day, which you can hear in the background of our recordings. My name is Rachel Berry. I am a fourth year student at the University of Auckland, and I am currently studying a Masters of Architecture and Masters of Urban Design. Um, my name is Enoch Andreessen. I'm also studying at Auckland University uh, in my fourth year, uh, studying my Masters of Architecture. We'd be interested in why you chose architecture, I guess. How did you get to architecture school? Well, I was always really interested in art during school, and then um, I always found myself making things and, and building things as I went along. And then I had parents who were engineers and that kind of forced the two together and I sort of had a realisation when I was about 11 or 12 and I just, I was like, well, I want to do architecture, that's just what I want to do. And then thinking about doing anything else really didn't make any sense in in comparison to that. So So you thought, as I enter my teenage years, I'm going to really wind up my engineering (laughs) parents and become an architect. (laughs) That sounds good. Great idea. Um, oh, mine was slightly different actually. Um, mine, my dad was a interior uh, interior joiner for super yachts, right. as well as a draftsman, and so he was always building things as well as our house. He actually did an extension on our house, and I think when I was about twelve or thirteen, I got the drawings and started doing plans for my room because I was working out where my my bed would go. So I would do drawings, um, including the doors and the windows <laughs> of where everything would go. Um, yeah. And then that just continued into college, um, where I studied graphics, and my graphics teacher really pushed me, and I did a couple of animation classes, and really liked making things online, and didn't really do art as much, came kind of more from the technical side, but really... And making. And making, lots lots of uh, model uh, making, and kind of that's how... I looked into uni, and there was no other courses that really took my fancy. So, so that's interesting yeah. um, about when you say you looked into uni and there was nothing else that took your fancy, so you landed on architecture. Is that a fair way of putting it? Or Yeah, I, I am not very good with exams uh-huh. um, and I found that when I was at school doing my assignments I much preferred working through the year, which mm-hmm. is what the architecture degree was mostly about. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like how everything was landed with one exam, like everything yeah, yeah. depended on mm-hmm. one exam, mm-hmm. okay. uh, so that was a big bearing for me. Yep. So now that you've been studying for a few years, and if you cast your mind back especially to your first impressions of architecture school, um, how was that compared to what perhaps you thought before you went to architecture school? Um, I remember being really excited about 
going to university and being like, yes, I, I am doing it. And the first week, I just remember quite vividly um, getting the outline of classes and getting my first project and being like, wow, this is this really is what I wanted to do and I'm so glad that I'm getting into it and getting started. And um, Yeah, it kind of exceeded expectations in that way because of the reality of actually doing what it was that I had dreamed about um, was was really great in that, mm-hmm. in that respect. So. Yeah. yeah, mine was slightly different. I guess <laughs> my career uh, guidance counsellor uh, told me that I would never be a good architect because I wasn't very good at maths and my buildings right. would fall over. Yeah. So she said, don't do architecture. Uh, and I didn't do art. So they were like, you don't have a good portfolio. Well, the art teacher said you didn't have a very good portfolio because it was all graphics work. And so they said that, no, you're doing the wrong, wrong thing. What did they think you should do? With your lack of mathematics and, and art uh, skills? Not so much lack of mathematics, I just found it more difficult. I wasn't getting A's in the A gra- uh, We did Cambridge. Right, yeah. And yeah, I didn't yeah. do A level, and right. so they said, no, right. it's not, not for you. So did you defy them by going to architecture school? A little bit. I said, well, that's what I want to do, and I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I went in, um, and actually, yeah, I really enjoyed it. We got landed with an assignment that was due the next day, um, and it was kind of run into two week blocks um, you kind of got thrown in the deep end and I think the first week I was already at uni at 11 o'clock at night um, working out how to use ArchiCAD and mm. I really loved it and it kind of just proved that I'd made the right decision. But in terms of the actual education and the, and the process and the study, um, did it match your expectations? Um, I think I didn't quite believe when um, past students told me that you'd be <laughs> Working you'd, at live you, you'd live, you'd it. live you'd there. You'd live there. Yeah. Uh, that didn't quite <laughs> click until you're actually there and you're still at uni at eleven o'clock at night, and then you come back at seven o'clock <laughs> in the morning. I yeah. think that I don't actually know if knowing that. Oh, I kind of did know that people had mentioned it, but I didn't quite believe it until I was in that situation. It becomes a big part of your life very quickly. Um, yeah. But what's really fantastic about the studio environment is that everyone else is breathing it the same way as you. Mm. Um, so one thing I didn't realise is that I would make such great friends with um, my studio colleagues. Mm. And just because we're all in it together and we're all so interested and passionate about what we're working on, yep. um, that's a huge bonus and something that I didn't really expect. You've both talked about starting architecture school and almost um, refer to a sense of destiny about being there. It mm. was the course you both wanted to study and, mm. and it was working out in a really interesting way that you want it to. What happens to classmates of yours who don't have that same sense of destiny? Have many fallen out uh, along the wayside and and dropped out of the program? I think they've been more interested in other areas. Like they've found that they really like animation or really like digital work and so they've gone down a different pathway. yeah, because yeah, architecture is so widespread and you can sort of find even a niche in it to become so concentrated on and really immersed in that. And then I, I found um, that if a lot of people, if it wasn't for them, they realised that in the first year mm. and sort of chose to leave. Or mm. on the first, like, uh, I'm not sure week if they plan this, but in the, first, <laughs> in the first week or two weeks yeah. they loaded us up pretty much every night we were doing a project and had to pin up at seven o'clock the next morning or and I think that actually cut out a lot of people that weren't in it to put in the work yeah. it was it was quite good I know that our numbers dropped about 20 20 people just within the first couple of weeks but I think that kind of got rid of 
that and then numbers kind of stayed the same yeah, until about so masters and then people went off into their own directions so some went it's a deliberate boot camp beginning I think and it could be. It could that, be. It'd be quite a great strategy of the university. Yeah, not and only for itself, but for its students. No, right. Well, I guess it's better go to find that out sooner yeah. rather than years and years into yeah. the degree. Yeah, yeah. You're both women, and you're about to enter a profession after next year that um, you know has its issues for equal representation of women, especially in the upper echelons of big firms. Yeah. Um, is that something you're conscious of, or do you feel those issues will? be kind of eliminated in part at least by the time you're really hitting the straps in the profession? Um, I'm, I'm quite aware of it. Um, I follow architecture and women and I'm quite a big supporter of, uh, of that group and I hope that by the time we enter the industry it's no longer an issue. I think it's, um, it's not really a modern problem anymore. I think everyone's recognising that equality is really important and support around that has really improved. So um, I'm looking forward to entering the industry and working for, uh, walking towards getting registered and um, helping bump up the, the women's numbers as mm. registered architects. Yeah, I, I agree with Rachel. It's also quite exciting to see a lot of our year is actually, it has got a lot of girls, it's about half and half. Mm. Um, so I think when we get out there, yeah, it will hopefully be different. Um, it is really exciting to see that uh, female names us coming um, mm coming apparent and like people's buildings are getting recognised uh, so I think that it, with the more numbers coming through that, that will slowly get smaller. Mm-hmm. Even even beyond the building the Biennale is a good one so Jess and uh, Maggie yeah. kind of leading that yeah. up um, which is really yeah. excellent. Um, you also you mentioned registration is that a big focus for you when you, you sort of see a pathway to that does that because um, it feels like a big hurdle for a lot of people who come out of architecture school is kind of registration thing um, but you've got your eyes set on that already. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of one of the immediate goals that I want to work towards as soon as I have the opportunity to outside of university. And working alongside my studies is kind of helping me get that introduction to the office and try to, I'm trying to immerse myself in it so when I um, graduate and can step mm. into a firm, I can contribute a bit more than what I would had I not gained that experience as a student. So hopefully that will in turn help me yeah. get that registration underway okay. um, and being involved in an office that really supports registration as quickly as possible will be quite important for me mm-hmm. when I look for a, a, a full time job. Yeah, yeah. I think registration for me isn't a goal um, right now because I'm more actually focused on my thesis and mm-hmm. what I want to investigate in my thesis and where that will lead me. So. Do you find your working in offices helps your study? You know, I, I was lucky enough in some ways to, um, to work for a chunk of time in an architecture firm before I started studying and I found mm. it, uh, looking back on it, it gave me a, a huge advantage in that I was able to sit in a two hour lecture and take out of that the, what I, I guess were important things and sort of work your way through what was important and what wasn't. Um, you've, as you've been working through your, your uh, degrees, have you found that? Have you found that, that those two sitting alongside have helped each other? I think actually in context-wise, you, you meet a lot of people and everyone has an opinion um, and helps you out and I think that was actually really important. Um, you pick up, uh, I think in terms of the university side, 
you take in what you want. You like you you're attracted to the things that you like and what's important, and you, you kind of deem that yourself. And I think that is influenced uh, by the architecture firm, but also I think that's just another view of like what's out there, what you're interested in, kind of mm. that develops that further. I think the biggest thing for me was I met a lot of people. Um, in those contexts, it's funny how you all link up later on. You'll go to like a photography um, evening mm. and you meet, you see them all again. It's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. And um, yeah, it's really good to make those connections, um, I think, which are quite important when you do leave uh, university. Um, those, those are important. Do you think, um, do you think generally uh, completing students are, um, are ready for what they will encounter in the workplace? It's such a big question about is it the role of architecture school to prepare you for the industry or mm. is it to teach you something else and um, well, what's find your, your what's style? your opinion? I, I th- I've learnt so much through working, um, the work experience that uh, I think um, when I started working I was completely thrown in the deep end and I'm kind of glad that I got that step out of the way before graduating. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it, it architecture school really helps you understand how you work and what you're interested in and it, it works on developing that. Are you working in an architecture firm concurrently? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of use that to feed into the professional side of it and mm. be introduced to that later. Mm. But I think if it was all focused on professional studies and drawing details and all of that, I think you'd get quite lost in that and lose the love for the, the wider picture of, of what it is. The dis- yeah, I think uh, I know that one of my very first papers um, actually was more based on materiality than uh, actually designing a building. So they did a test with us and they had um, two burgers in front of us and one was on like a very nice like porcelain plate and one was done on a like just a piece of card and then asked us to try the t- uh, two different burgers and asked which one would taste <laughs> the best. Um, and they said that it's the whole atmosphere it's like experiencing that it's not just focused on the details and I think that's quite important to realize um, that if you just focused on like how to make this and how to details it will limit your like um, um, yeah atmosphere yeah it limits your creativity and I think that design school is quite a good way of pushing the boundaries okay it might not work but it's finding those ideas which then you could apply to buildings mm-hmm. um, and finding your own style. I think it definitely takes, you need about four years to actually work out how you like to work. And it's gonna be different to everyone else. You can't just copy someone and go, yep, that's the best way. You need to work that out yourself. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to architect school, but I always thought that the biggest challenge of it would be finishing, and then you have the collision of these creative ideals you've been working with, and either making them happen in built form, or you know, detailing warehouse roof lines in a large firm mm-hmm. and feeling like you have none of that you don't get to express that creativity in your day job for maybe five or six years. Is that a concern that you both have about entering the workforce after this master's period? It's kind of a shame because at architecture school you get free reign to imagine whatever you like and often you're your own client, you're not given one. Yeah. So you get to design for yourself and it's, it's very selfish architecture school in, in that way. And so to go into the industry and now you've got someone else who's feeding almost more into your design because it's what they want for themselves and you have the opportunity to. It is, it is that realisation that architecture school is kind of this, this dream time to experiment and then you do get the reality of what the job is. <laughs> Enjoy it. Yes, and I think, I think it is important to keep hold of those um, 
those ideas and I think the best part is trying to feed that into your design somehow yeah. and like working with the details to make that work um, but I feel yeah when you get out of when you, we get out of uni and uh, work in an office those will be pushed kind of to the back while we're working on yeah. on I guess it's about holding on to those great crazy ideas that you have in architecture school and just working out that one project that you can kind of even slide a little bit of that into yes. mm. It is all interconnected. Those that big picture stuff and the, the detail um, takes I think takes a long time to figure that out and, and realise that you need to be able to detail that roof before you can design that form. Mm. Yeah. You need to mm. they need to all work together. Mm. So Enika, you almost were talked out of doing architecture. Yes. But you did. Um, what would you say to people there must be a large number of people who actually don't do what you do and get talked out of it. If you could say something to those people, what would that message be? Uh, I think if you really have the passion, you really enjoy designing, don't be put off by the people that say, because your, your maths grades weren't good enough. If you're going to put in the time to learn it, okay, so your exam that was an hour out of your life didn't show you really what you could do, I, I think that um, should be a good indication of you. Um, if you really want to do it and put your mind to it, I think you can. Um, and the same with art. I think having a really good portfolio um, is not actually based on art. I think it's based on a representation of yourself. And I think a lot of people focus on you have to be a good artist. Um, where I know one of the students actually was a builder. And I think his whole portfolio was buildings that he had made or um, he had made a wheelbarrow, I think a house. Um, and it is so open and you it's to show what you can bring to the table and if you had I guess 120 students that were all very good artists mm-hmm. it means that you're only going to get a certain amount of um, work kind of produced in, in that style whereas mm-hmm. if you had 120 people all from different areas I think your work would be a lot more interesting and you'd be able to um, work off each other and learn a lot more. Mm-hmm. You both had exposure to elements of architecture in your own upbringings Mm -hmm. how do students that may not have that um, encounter architecture and um, get inspired enough by it to study it because you must have classmates that that are like that yeah I think it's a real shame that even particularly also as students is that we're not exposed to enough of our own local New Zealand architecture unless you Mm. were raised in a family who had an architecturally designed house or you, you often don't get to experience those things um, so I th- for them it just must be a, a love of going into the places that they can and, and learn from those and taking from those experiences um, and then other sides like you know the interest in, in art and making I think come through otherwise. Yeah I think that is a very good point that um, if you're not already uh, established within the New Zealand like architecture um, ideas, it's very hard to actually break into. And if you didn't have parents encouraging you or going look at that building, or because my dad, uh, me and my dad used to do it all the time. We used to drive around and just look at houses and what we did and didn't like mm. about them. Um, if you don't have someone, I think, encouraging you, it would be quite hard. And I think getting New Zealand architecture actually out there. <laughs> you guys all jumped. <laughs> getting New Zealand. Architecture out there <laughs> and known, I think, would be quite an important thing, especially within schools, because uh, or within people that are looking uh, to get into it. Um, I think it's an area that is quite is. I'm not sure if grey word, uh, grey areas, the right word, but 
people don't know a lot about it um, unless you get taught it at uni or you have an influence from outside people. Mm -hmm. I think so much of New Zealand's best architecture is private architecture, people's yeah. houses yeah. Um, down the end of a driveway or on the edge of a cliff somewhere or whatever. Mm. Or I'd argue that impression is. I'd argue that that impression is the problem. I'd suggest that we've got better public assets in terms of architecture than we've ever had and they are starting to speak for themselves mm. in the absence of having a parent or, or a yeah. friend who yeah. goes, come mm. to this. Like I was talking with my friend in the weekend, talking to his five-year-old daughter, it's like we're going into town, we're going to the art gallery and the library, it's like what do you like about the library? And she said, I like the library because it has cool spaces. Mm. Mm. And it's just yeah. like, yeah. he's not an architect, mm. but the buildings are strong enough to make a five-year-old go, what do I like, I like about it. being here? I like the space I'm, I'm in. Mm. That's enough. And but those two buildings are great examples, especially the art gallery, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's strong yeah, enough absolutely. to do that. And as our city becomes more and more a place that we do our recreation and our leisure in, rather than a place we flee in the weekends to get out of, mm. I think that can happen more and more. Is there anything you think architecture, architectural education doesn't do well, generally? Marking. <laughs> 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 That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, not gonna, not gonna get into that. But, um, yeah. You just have. Sorry. You, you just have. <laughs> <You> just have. <laughs> In short, I don't think it should be based on a mark. I think that um, coming out of your masters, you should have a collection of your work in a portfolio and not just a grade because that is based on opinion. And I think it should be more based on how much work you've put in and. Mm -hmm. um, what skills that you've come out with and not what like three or four tutors depending on what type of day they were in kind of gave you a mark and, yeah. yeah I've interviewed and hired a number of people and I've never looked at their marks I've never seen their marks mm. I don't think yeah, mm. I think they're not as important as students make them out to be mm. I think you start to think that this is about a creating a stunning transcript and that's what's going to get me the yeah. job yeah. And I think you lose sight of no, it's about you developing who you yeah. are and learning new skills. That's the time that you can actually practice and learn them because then when you get into office, they can't expect that. And yeah, yeah. if you've done all that work of just playing around how to make like a perfect, a perfect design, when you have the time to actually practice in those programs, I think that is more beneficial than getting an A plus in design. So, um, Annika, Rachel, thanks very much for talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us along. It's been great. So a big thanks there to Sophie, Annika and Rachel um, for that discussion and those interviews and we could all no doubt reminisce about our time at architecture school which I'm sure would be um, scintillating, yep. but um, we'd love to hear what you think about that episode and some of the ideas that it provokes. It's a topic that's of a lot of interest to us and we, we remain keen to talk further about it including things like the crit, which we've long talked about in the episode and would love to shed some light on that. We're without our fourth correspondent on this episode, Jeremy. He's at the tail end of a very exciting international trip, so I encourage you to check out his Twitter or Instagram. He's been seeing some amazing stuff. There's been Corb, there's been Hadid, there's been shorts, allegedly, cool that he's house. been wearing. Oh, um, yeah. Shorts <laughs> and shorts. hats. Excellent <laughs> yes. short and hat game by Jeremy. <laughs> um, so check it out. Um, and a little bit of news. Yeah, so I mean, the unitary plan has come out, um, and that's uh, given rise to the Coalition for Homes, which uh, uh, on Twitter, and we'll post some uh, links to them on our feed. There's also the Council Civic Building by Tibor Donner um, has been listed 
um, or hopefully will be listed as yeah, a heritage building, news. which is a great bit of news because um, the, the um, future of that building was really in doubt. So um, that's really good too. Except for the stuff commenters. Probably, except for the stuff, usually for the... Brutal, ugly, modernist, yeah. my kid could do better. That's right. I wouldn't sort want that in my backyard. Wouldn't want that in my backyard, yep. yeah. Fortunately, they don't have to have it in their that's, backyard. That's right. <laughs> I'd quite like for it to be um, my backyard, though. It'd be mm. quite a good place to live if yep. they convert it. Absolutely. And lastly, um, Auckland Architecture Week yeah. will be coming up shortly. Yes, I think it's come, uh, scheduled for the second week of September. I might have that fact wrong. Um, but... Uh, Keep uh, your eyes peeled for details about that. It will be advertised through the NZIA, um, I think, as well as other mediums. And we'll post some links as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's uh, episode nine. Thanks very much again to our guests, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.